Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And we're very excited today to have a special guest. It's Jake Vaughan, aka Alt Worldly. Um, Jake has his own YouTube channel, and is an ex-Jehovah's Witness, talks about um, all stuff around that and his journey. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Jake. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great. Good. Okay, so um, we've talked a little bit about the things we want to discuss. We first of all want to get a little bit of background on you. So do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, how you've ended up doing a YouTube channel? Sure, yeah. So former Jehovah's Witness, um, I was raised in a very prominent family in the uh, witness community. I mean, <clears throat> prominent in the sense of I I have what witnesses call a rich spiritual heritage. You know, I have family going back, I think, four generations in the organization. And um, they were very well known in our local community. My grandfather uh, helped build a lot of the kingdom halls in the state. Uh, before yeah. like the RBC was even a thing. The regional right. building committee is the mm -hmm. volunteer organization that would build the places of worship for Jehovah's Witnesses. And he was very involved on that from the ground floor. So everywhere I went growing up, my father was an elder and he would give, you know, the Sunday talks yeah. uh, all across the greater Columbus, Ohio area and such. So everywhere I went, people would know our last name. And ask how I was related to a distant relative of mine who actually had like a life experience written about him in the Awake magazine and um, was one of the anointed, one of the few mm. people in all of human history who get to go to heaven. So that was a big deal too. Mm, yeah, yeah. So one of the lucky few. So that was, you know, growing up, uh, I just thought that. Jehovah's Witnesses were awesome. I loved my family, and uh, we were really tight-knit. I grew up being very devout, uh, I, and I became a ministerial servant, which is like, you know, like an elder's assistant, for those who don't know. And I, was, I did that for almost 10 years and got married to a witness, just was living the witness dream. We were kind of the golden couple in the congregation. Um, and just for whatever reason, I started to become just slowly overwhelmed by the sense that something wasn't quite right. Mm -hmm. And part of what I've tried to do on my channel is just pinpoint what exactly that was. And I, I, I'm, I know like everybody else you've talked to, it's a, it's a journey. It's never just one thing. I've described it um, on my channel as it being sort of like when you have a small crack in the windshield of your car 
and you learn to just put it in your periphery and you don't notice. And then all of a sudden you'll notice that like, wow, that crack now goes all the way across the windshield. How did that happen? And that's sort of what happened to me is it's like a lot of little things over the years built up. And, and the more I tried to encourage myself, uh, which is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just researching stuff on the witness database, Making watched our online viewer, library. As they say. Yes. <laughs> yes. Trying to, uh, what is it? Renew the love that I had at first. That's a phrase mm-hmm. that we loved mm-hmm. was trying to do that. And of course, all the while I'm trying to be, uh, a good spiritual head of the family. So I'm trying to take the lead in family worship and, you know, be there for my wife who's a witness. And, um, the whole time over the course of a couple of years, I'm just every second I have like at work when I have downtime, I'm just trying to research stuff. And I think the main thing that was really bothering me was when I started to realize and it started to be talked about more in like the broadcast that uh, the governing body does, that there is apostate material out there that you shouldn't listen to and you shouldn't, you know, it'll just destroy your faith. If you ever read this stuff, it'll just destroy your faith. And I was just trying to get a sense of, well, what is it that they're talking about that could be so horrible that it could immediately destroy the truth? And like the more I would research the publications, the more I'd be like, well, they just, they never say what the apostates are saying. So that's kind of bothering me that I know that there's information out there that I'm afraid to look at. And then once I recognized that, like I was fundamentally afraid of something in my life that really began to bother me and it all just sort of, I don't know, kind of ended up culminating in me just kind of coming to the conclusion that I didn't believe anymore Mm -hmm. uh, before I had done any apostate research. I just felt like I weighed the evidence and was like, I don't know, this just doesn't work for me anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. So it was actually the, in many respects, it was the fear of apostates that made you not necessarily look at the apostate stuff, but started to ask, well, you know, what actually, what it's is so it? Bad, what, yeah. yeah, what is it that's that's yeah. so wrong about this? Because it undermines itself, doesn't it? Because it's like mm. the idea that in order to keep believing, quote, unquote, the truth, you need to like be doing it constantly every day in your everyday life, you know, attending all these meetings. It's, you know, it's your entire being. To believe you need to do all of that um but if you come across one bit of apostate material it might undo everything and that as a concept kind of is it's got to be shaking hasn't it (laughs) yeah that's that's a really good point too just even the notion that like you can fall away from the truth you can drift Mm -hmm. away if you're Mm -hmm. not just consuming yourself with it all the time and nothing else in life is like that. No other truth that you learn, (laughs) you know, I don't have to constantly be reconvincing myself that the earth is round. I don't have to be like, Oh, otherwise these flat earthers are going to get to me. And I just have to keep on convincing me. You know, usually once you know something, you feel pretty comfortable that you know it until you get maybe new information or something. Mm -hmm. So the point of kind of no return, well, the, I should say like the thing that really started the snowball rolling down the hill for me was, I I think it was a 2018 broadcast that was done wherein Garrett Loesch, one of the governing body members talked about uh, in his broadcast, like, you know, we might hear rumors that have been spread online on Twitter or Facebook about people who work at the branch or the governing body members. And if we see this stuff, we should not spread it. We shouldn't talk about it. Because 
Jesus and Jehovah, they trust the imperfect, faithful, and discreet slave. So shouldn't you? Mm-hmm. And I just remember sitting back and thinking, that's not right. That's very mm-hmm. suspicious. <laughs> Anybody else who says, hey, there's a bunch of lies about me on the internet. Don't read it. Don't don't even look oh, yeah. at it. You know, that you would be very suspicious. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Like, that's... They're like, don't look at anything. Like, it's not true. Um, like, mm. Yeah, this evening's been going great. One thing you should know is that there's a bunch of lies about me on the internet. Don't look at them. You know, that immediate red flag. Uh, so that was just the thing that I just couldn't get out of my head. And yeah, eventually it just all sort of fell away. And there were a lot of little things and big things. The biggest thing for me being like, I never agreed with uh, the witnesses stance on you know gay marriage and lgbtq issues in general and so that was always something that i felt like i was having to suppress or you know reconvince myself of like we just talked yeah. about just like mm-hmm. trying to indoctrinate myself with like homophobic articles and it just like not really sticking mm-hmm. uh, and so that was the kind of big thing that i realized you know even if it was true i would still disagree with this like i would still disagree with a God who doesn't allow this. And so I just don't think I could support it anymore. And like, once I reached that point, I felt comfortable being like, well, apparently I have nothing left to lose. So I might as well look and see what people are saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You've already started to sort of, yeah, stop believing what's the harm in looking at the actual material at that point. Especially like saying it out loud. Like I, I told my spouse, you know, one evening, for some reason, I just felt overwhelmed with it. And I, I really hadn't expressed it to anybody, uh, not even myself. And I just told her about all these things I was feeling and like the fear that I had and, you know, how uncomfortable I was with like the fact that you can't just disagree or you'll be disfellowshipped and like all this stuff. And I, I told her, I was like, I just am not sure that I really believe anymore. And I think hearing myself say that made it really real and made me realize like, okay, I. I, this is apparently not just an internal struggle. This is like, I really just don't, I don't mm-hmm. buy it. Yeah. It's really interesting to listen to you, um, Jake. I mean, I, I'm, um, it seems so recent history, you know, you know, 2018 is like yesterday to me as an old fogey, mm-hmm. um, a bloke who, you know, left over 20 years ago and in, you know, apostates back in my day were these, um, slightly nutty people who would congregate outside of assemblies with placards um, and they painted them with various different, um, you know, things about Daniel's prophecies and, um, you know, this is, this is, these are the bits you've got wrong. And, and so for me, I was never, I was never interested in apostates. For me, that's what apostasy was. It was these crackpots uh, um, standing outside assemblies, you know, Um so yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was actually thinking about it for myself, and then yeah, of course, you're interested in what other people have to say. Yeah. But yeah, I suppose it's the digit digitalization of the, the world yeah. going that you you know, um, like you said, apostate material is different. It is not it's placards outside. It you know, it's it's rebuttals and just interesting nuanced yeah. conversation. Mm. And, you know, yeah, that's a really interesting. Thing too and you know there's still people that do you know have picket signs and stuff which you know to me i i and this is just my personal take on it everybody uh, does their um hmm. activism if you want to call it that in in different ways but for me like when i 
would hear of that stuff and like maybe the one time I saw it, I, it did just reinforce everything. I was like, mm-hmm. look, see, everything they say about apostates mm-hmm. is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, now that that's less in vogue and what they're mostly just talking about is people online, it makes it mysterious and enticing and it makes you want to know like, well, mm-hmm. what are they saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a self-defeating thing that they have going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, in terms of your... Uh, your doubts and your your you've gone through this um process where you've allowed yourself to think about uh the questions that you've you've perhaps had underlying for a while i love this uh, metaphor of the crack in the window uh we are collecting these metaphors you know everybody has their own and mm-hmm. it's brilliant um uh there's lots of different ones but they all kind of say the same sort of thing you've got this going on um what is it that is the, to mix the metaphor, the straw that breaks the camel's back? What is the thing that really, that tips you over the edge? Yeah, I, what really tipped me over the edge is, I'm going to say that it's kind of three intertwined things. Okay. Three straws that uh, got stuck together. I don't know. I was, I was already really into YouTube. I wanted to do YouTube because I had discovered just um, like video essays and, uh, you know, people just like talking about pop culture and stuff. And I had always liked to do that, even when I was a witness. Um, I had written for a couple video game websites for a while until it started to bother my conscience because, uh, you know, I was seeking great things for myself or maybe I was reviewing games that could stumble somebody, you know, that might... Uh, be considered magic or satanic or violent or something. So I stopped doing that, but I always had a desire to be a performer of some kind or like, I don't know. I just, I really liked that. And I I was doing a podcast with my friends too, uh, who were witnesses. So I, I had kind of had a a taste for like, it's really fun to talk about stuff on the internet and hear my own voice. Uh, So I was watching and listening to a lot of YouTube and a lot of the stuff that I would listen to were um, people doing rebuttals to other videos like, you know, whether it was a political position or it was like something like Flat Earth. And one of the things that I that really broke the camel's back was and I because I remember this very vividly being at work. At my job, I can just listen to stuff like I, I can have a headphone in. So I would listen to this in the background. I was listening to this funny video, breaking down flat earth ideology. But at the end of it, uh, the person making the video went, uh, he got very sincere and said, you know, these people, they really, uh, their heart is in the right place. They're able to look at the world and they're able to see that, you know, politicians are corrupt and there is a lot wrong with the world. And you know, there are reasons to be skeptical of authority, but they're they're pointing it in the wrong place. And they've taken this drive to do something good uh, and directed it into something that's like conspiratorial. And that just like hit me really hard because I was like, I have no way of knowing if I'm one of those types of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, flat earth is not that different from believing that the earth is invisibly being run by Satan. It's still Absolutely. like, it's you know, it's something it? and especially the thing of all the evidence is wrong. <laughs> like, yes, we know that all the experts say this, 
but we have the secret real knowledge that nobody else agrees with and we can't prove. And that's something that uh, really hit me. And then another thing was uh, discovering another YouTuber who is trans and realizing just really uh, falling in love with this person's content and their, and their personality and the way they broke down gender issues in a way that I had never thought about. You know, I'd always obviously thought of it as just purely black and white. And hearing something that I thought was really simple being articulated in a really nuanced way uh, just made me realize like how narrow-minded I was and just like people who disagree with me aren't necessarily just whack jobs who <laughs> are rejecting Jehovah. They're like they have really educated and well thought out positions Ooh. that yeah. are worth listening to that I intentionally have been avoiding because I know that it will mess with my head. And I, mm -hmm. I like a combination of those two things really made me think like, I have no way of knowing whether I have the truth and I'm afraid to look. And the thing that I found myself praying for was like, Jehovah, don't let me look at this stuff. Cause I know that I'll believe it and I'll leave. Right. Right. And that's something that, I was also able to recognize, like, that's so crazy. If it's so convincing that I'll believe it, it's probably true. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. What was it you were, um, what was it making you afraid? So you were kind of like, you could see the outcomes, mm. but what were you afraid of? Why were you fighting against? I, I was afraid because I had realized another thing, like another little straw that had got thrown on there was like, realizing that you can't just leave for conscientious reasons. I had just always believed what it says like on our website and in like the publications that disfellowshipping is for gross unrepentant sin. Mm. We shun people like that. We don't shun people who are repentant. And I always just kind of thought, well, I could just kind of not be a witness. You know, I could just kind of stop and be inactive like other family members of mine. But I began to realize that, like, the things that I was wrestling with were fundamentally opposed. Like, they weren't just disagreements. They were like, no, I, I morally object to this. I think that this is wrong. I think okay. that homophobia is something that should be fought against, okay. not that I should just be silently like, mm, I don't know. Um, and I and I knew that um, because my family is so entrenched in the organization – and it just, you know, predominates every conversation, just absolutely every aspect of life. I was terrified of losing that more than anything. I was just really afraid, like, I could just see the path of, like, once I do that, it's just inevitable that I will lose my family at some point. Yeah, yeah. So you did your videos um, incognito for, for quite some time, didn't you? you? You didn't show your face for a while when you started to do your videos. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I started doing that when uh, around the time that like COVID started hitting. When it really first started at work, um, things had slowed down so much that I would be just like sitting around waiting for something to do for like six hours, or you know whatever, because it was I was kind of just needed um, as needed uh, at the hospital where I would work. So like I would just be sitting in the break room just with nothing to do, and so I I had been doing all this research myself. Um, to try and 
build myself up. And I, I'd especially become fixated on the frequently asked questions articles on JW.org because they're really meant for the public and they're meant to address obviously frequently asked questions and like frequent quote unquote misconceptions like mm-hmm. do Jehovah's Witnesses uh, break apart families? That's one of them. And um, mm-hmm. do Jehovah's Witnesses um, expect you to get baptized if you study with them and, and things like that? And I would read them. And, you know, now that I had a more skeptical outlook, I would look at it and think, we're not being truthful. We're hiding what we really think on this. We're, we're creating like this is like PR. But if you really dig, we don't actually think this. So I would be writing these kind of like rebuttals to myself. And I eventually was like, you know, I should start a website because nobody has like focused on these things specifically. So I started a website called JWFAQ.com that like is specifically just it's a lot like JW facts in that like it's very like sober in its tone, focusing on here's what the website says. Here's what the publications say, just letting the contradiction speak for itself. Um, But I had some other. I've always liked to write, and I had some other pieces that were much more like my voice and like snarky in tone and <laughs> seemed like it, it wouldn't have fit the tone of, of what I wanted that website to be. And I was like, these really would be better as videos. And I watched a few YouTubers that didn't show their face and just kind of like used images and stuff on the screen. And I was like, maybe I could do that. So I started to do that. Um, and you know, frankly, I I think that was a huge mistake. I think it was a huge mistake to start doing that before I was officially out. Because I think when I inevitably felt the need to show my face and to kind of blow everything up, people in my life felt more betrayed than they would have. You know, like, obviously, they're going to feel betrayed. Because they're like, what? How could you leave the truth? So that like inherent betrayal, but also the fact that I had been living a double life, I think really made things a lot worse at the outset. So I kind of regret doing that. Not that I regret the actual things I said, Mm -hmm. but I wish I would have waited a little bit, to be honest with you. Sure. Mm -hmm. For anybody listening who's thinking about going down the alt-worldly path, (laughs) don't do it. Wait a little bit. (laughs) It's completely understandable, though, isn't it? You know, you're, um, yeah, I, I think I think people can understand why you made those choices. Um, so you're, you're, um, you've left the organization, obviously. Um, uh, obviously, you can tell us as much as you want to or as little as you want to about your sort of family situation. Are you, have you been shunned? Are you sort of separate from your family or are you able to have some contact with them? Yeah, well, that's, that is an interesting question. Um one thing I I did just want to say about like the the channel was it made perfect sense to me to make those videos at the time because one of the things uh Celine that I was freaked out by uh and that was really bothering me internally was the fact that I was afraid to speak my mind the fact that I was afraid to have a voice and to share my opinion that that really bothered me mm-hmm. um and like once i became pimo like physically in mentally out the fact that i was still living in fear was really bothering me and i felt like the lack of having a voice and an outlet was really mm-hmm. driving me crazy so mm-hmm. at the time i felt like this is a way where i can have a voice 
but not disturb the people in my life with having them know that I'm some out and out apostate person. So it all kind of made sense. And eventually I I was bothered by the fact that I was afraid to show my face. And I was just like, like this fear thing really bothered me. Mm -hmm. So then I show my face with the full knowledge that it would, you know, blow everything up. But I, I felt ready for it at that point. But that, got spread around immediately after I posted it. It got found immediately. I really still don't quite know how it got found by somebody in a neighboring congregation quite so quickly. I, I have to think that somebody had stumbled upon it and thought it sounded like me, but couldn't prove it for sure. Like mm. I, I feel like somebody had was kind of suspicious or something. I don't know. But it spread around immediately, and it spread to my family. Jehovah's Witnesses uh, are told not to spread apostate information, but they do very quickly, apparently, if they if it's somebody that they know. Uh, so that boosted the views. I got a lot of views. Yeah. <laughs> the video got spread around. Uh, and so immediately, like, the shunning hit in or settled in pretty quickly with members of my family. And one of the things that, like, the face reveal video I did was talking about my health issues. I grew up with Crohn's disease. And... The not fun part of my growing up was, I promise this is all related to shunning, by the way. The not fun part of growing up was the fact that I was very sick from a young age. At age eight, I was diagnosed with Crohn's. And so I was in the hospital a lot. You know, they were experimenting with different medications. And the blood issue was front of mind for me because I would experience blood loss and that would be scary. And you know, my parents would never tell me like, you need to make a stand or, you know, they, they wouldn't try and scare me, but we would read articles about that. We would talk about it at the meetings, obviously. And there was a re- very famous awake article that specifically was about young people my age who had made a stand for their faith and it died. So that was something that was terrifying. And I, I had a hard time sleeping as a kid because it would freak me out. And then when I was a teenager and, you know, making mistakes like all teenagers do, I would have that self-conscious thing of like, yes, I'll be cured in paradise. But what if I mess up and I'm not worthy of being resurrected? Or So that kind of fear and shame and, and worry definitely followed me for a long time. So that was something that I talked about in the video. And ironically, not long after posting that video, just a few weeks after, I started I had been dealing with like a blood loss issue already and it got really bad. So bad that like I passed out like on the toilet in the bathroom and my wife had to call an ambulance because I had lost consciousness. Like she couldn't find a pulse. It was really freaky. So I was like taken, I was in the ICU and I needed a blood transfusion to live. That's what, that's how they put it to me. They're like, yeah, no, and this, you've lost over half of your body's blood volume. We can't, you, you need a blood transfusion. So I was in the ICU and nobody in my family was talking to me. My wife was, obviously she was there and she was great, but like my own dad like didn't text me. My sister didn't. My mom came to visit me eventually, but only to tell me that when the disfellowshipping announcement happened that they would shun me just to reiterate the decision. And yeah, I'm lying there in the hospital bed and she's telling me this. So 
it was that was a pretty rough time. But at the same time, the XJW community was like really rallying around me and like somebody anonymous started a Kickstarter to like help with my medical bills. So that made me feel pretty good about my decision to leave. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's all to say that the shunning was pretty intense. Uh, but I just had a, um, a pretty invasive surgery. I had my colon removed, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, now I have like an ileostomy bag, so mm-hmm. it's been a big transition. And during this time, my parents at, um, have been involved. Like they they wanted to be involved and to help. Mm-hmm especially with my wife who who is still a witness and they, you know, didn't want her to be on her own taking care of me. So that has been really nice. I mean, it's been nice that they've been there providing practical help, but of course the cynical side of me is like, why did this have to be this Uh deep conversation? You know, they said they'd have to pray about it. They said they'd have to pray about how involved they wanted to be. And it's like, you have to pray about whether or not you want to, be there for your son's invasive surgery. Uh-huh. So it's been weird, but yeah, the rest of the family still shuns me, grandparents, aunts, uncles, all mm-hmm. that. Uh-huh. I, I want to talk a little bit about um, your illness, Jake, because um, obviously, Selena, I'll, I'll let you sort of take over at this point because it's uh-huh. something that you're obviously uh, related to. Um, yeah, so um, I think it's something that obviously like the listeners know about because we did an episode once where I talked mm. about uh, colitis and stuff but it was a long old time ago and very mm-hmm. quite an old video that we re-outfitted to be a podcast mm. version sure. um, but yeah so it's obviously uh, something that like, I understand like the the whole going to hospital thing and like that yeah losing blood um, I remember as well surprisingly it's so hard to just get Jehovah's Witness off your record um, <laughs> because mm-hmm. when I was in hospital they were like oh, she's lost a lot of blood. We would really, like, we're getting close to, cons- you know, to the point where we think she should have a transfusion, but obviously she's not allowed. To my mum, because I was 16, and it's that weird time of age where they don't know to ask you or to your parent. I mean, I was kind of unconscious, so um, yeah, defaulting onto her, really. But she was like, no, she's not a Jehovah's Witness. Please give her the blood if she needs it. <laughs> like, don't don't hold back on that. Um, but yeah, the the fact that that would be you know, something to contend with. Was yeah, definitely... we'd, we'd been left. Um, I mean, you must have been about two by the time we'd sort of yeah, I mean, so that had like... stayed on our records yeah. for, wow. you know, 20 years. Yeah, it's years, just so really. hard to well, get off. Yeah. Years. I was 16. <laughs> 18, yeah. So like, 16, 14, um, well, yeah, cause I guess I hadn't really, it was like, I hadn't really been sick before. And then all of a sudden everything came, came on quite suddenly um, and had a big flare up for my first flare up. But um mm. Um, yeah, it's just imagining the idea of having to contest with, you know, it's already scary, um, when you have IBD, um, like when you don't know what's going on and like, I can't imagine layering on top of that, um, for myself and for my parents, oh, we're going to have to make a moral decision about this, you know, because like, if, you know, if we were a witness family at that point, before we knew it was colitis, you know, being like, oh, do we let her have blood? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, like morally as a choice. Um, I mean, I don't know what do, do, has that happened sometimes where people that are witnesses have they chosen to go against that because you know your your children. It's a big thing. What happens to you though? Who are people getting disfellowshipped over stuff like that? Well, it's interesting. Um, I had a blood transfusion this last time I was in the hospital too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
well, I was rehospitalized a couple of times due to like complications. Mm-hmm. And apparently one of the one of the times I needed a blood transfusion, which I consented to. Mm-hmm. Um and uh but you know, my uh mom apparently didn't know about the previous one that mm-hmm. I had had. She only knew about this one and was like, I knew this would happen, you know, like thinking like Satan's got me or something like that. And so I, I told her, you know, this is not the first time I've had one. And even before I was this fellowship, I needed one to save my life. And apparently my dad, who who is an elder, had told her and my wife, like, you know, it's it's his decision, and frankly, there are witnesses who decide to do it mm. and then later repent. Mm. So that was kind of interesting, and just to hear his perspective of like, it actually happens to witnesses a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that um, also really motivated me to, you know, keep making videos and stuff. Is that first time when I was like on death's door in like the ICU and stuff. You're like when you really need one and it's that serious, you you've lost like half of your body's life force. You feel completely drained. You feel mm-hmm. totally out of it. You, mm-hmm. you, you like you can feel that you're dying in a way. I mean, and uh, in my case, you know, TMI alert, but I, I was losing blood through my stool just yeah. constantly. Mm-hmm. Yep. copious amounts mm-hmm. and so that's an embarrassing thing to be going mm-hmm. through you know you don't feel super hot and awesome no. laying on a you know uh what do you call them like those little hospital those, bedpan yeah. things mm-hmm. um constantly losing blood and stuff so like I, I was thinking about that and just thinking like this is so like demoralizing and mm-hmm. dehumanizing and i can't imagine somebody being willing to like refuse a blood transfusion mm-hmm. during this circumstance because the way it's kind of painted to you as a witness is like this is sort of a heroic stance that you're taking and you yeah. at least in my mind I always imagined like this will really give a witness and it'll be powerful but like I could barely talk I could barely I barely knew where I was and mm-hmm. so the idea that it had painted it, it had been painted out to be something of this like noble stand when in reality it's like the worst moment in your entire life. Like it made me think that probably a lot of people do give in because you don't want to die like that. You're like, yeah, I don't want to die on the toilet. (laughs) Like I don't want to, you know, just like it's embarrassing and weird. And if I have an option to live, Oh my God. So Mm -hmm. I, I certainly hope that people in their when it's a moment of privacy and it's just between them and the doctors, I I, I think that probably a lot of people do mm-hmm. back down and, and, and accept the blood transfusion. But uh, I just heard an interview with somebody who, you know, worked in an apartment at Bethel that dealt with um, reports of, of what do they deal with? Like the hospital liaison committees around yeah. the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that die due to refusing yeah. blood transfusions yeah. that didn't have to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, unfortunately, yeah. Mm-hmm. This, this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's not because obviously there's um, chronic conditions like IBD, so Crohn's and colitis and stuff, where that is just, mm-hmm. it's just a fact of the disease you bleed. <laughs> um, and, yeah. you, you know, 
sometimes the only thing to to help you is to have blood but there's also things like giving birth and such where like if there's complications you're just what expected to just die and just leave your you know just leave your family or your newborn child for like you said this weird you know suggested like it's this moralistic you know thing to do this martyrdom to do and it's like people shouldn't be expected to to die (laughs) to prove something yeah it's completely horrific and you know the hypocrisy of it really started to strike me too because i when i was a witness i was able to take part in uh, some of the construction projects including like i was able to volunteer for a little bit on the world headquarters warwick and they stress safety so much mm-hmm. now a lot of that is because they have a lot of volunteer labor who are unskilled and so they need safety training. It's very good that they take safety training seriously. But the way they frame it as a spiritual thing is Jehovah, his respect for life, how much he loves life. He's the giver of life. And so how horrible it would be for the life giver who holds life to be so sacred for something bad to happen on this work site. And so they're saying this while at the same time insisting that this person who holds life to be so sacred would rather that you deny life-saving medical treatment because Mm. ew, blood is icky that I view that as the symbol of life. You know, the symbol apparently is, is far more important than the actual life itself. Mm. So it's very, it's very twisted. It it doesn't really make any sense. No, the, the amount of, um, it's hard to get data on this. Um, I was talking to, uh, anesthesiologist, um, going back a year or so when we first started the podcast and, you know, it's quite difficult to get the data, um, to know yeah. for sure. And it's always, there's always going to be a question mark, you know, was that the thing that, uh, that, that caused it and, and so on. But, uh, we're not talking about a handful, you know, we are talking about quite a lot of people yeah. who, and particularly young women, young mothers, you know, um, that was something you were afraid of, horrific. wasn't it? Absolutely. When, when you were born, Celine, I, um, that was my biggest fear. So I was just at that point mm. teetering on the bridge on the brink really. Um, and so, you know, the joy of, of, uh, bringing Celine into the world was, was really tainted by the total fear of having that conversation. If, if Sarah was, um, you know, going to need something and it was, mm-hmm. yeah, terrible, really. Mm. Um, how, how are you now, Jake? So you've 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 had quite serious um, surgery. You're you're back at home now. I noted on Twitter that you'd you'd been in and out a couple of times. So how are you now? I'm doing really well. Yeah, sorry, it's been like a huge bummer of an interview so far. I'm just talking <laughs> about all these problems I have. We'll get onto funny uh, stuff. In the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm actually doing really well. I yes. definitely had a rough go with things, but mm. this last time I was let out, I just feel like a totally new person this mm-hmm. whole thing has definitely like improved my quality of life it was mm-hmm. it was a very needed surgery so yeah i'm i'm feeling pretty good mm. good good it is it's always good to hear from from people post um surgery because like everyone, everyone i've spoken to has always said like yeah it feels amazing because like um i know it's different from crohn's to colitis because of like how it how it is and everything but um like people I spoke to with colitis that have had um, like that have ileostomies and stuff they've been like it's amazing to not have this diseased thing in me anymore like yes you know just 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 working now it's different but it's working (laughs) I that those were the kind of comments that made it feel not quite as scary to me Mm -hmm. because it was really you know freaking me out ahead of time obviously Mm -hmm. but 
um, that's what I kept hearing is people saying like, you can tell that you don't have disease in you anymore. And man, it's true. Your, your body knows when there's something in there that's not supposed to be there. And Mm -hmm. despite the complications I had, which were like small bowel obstructions and and things Mm -hmm. kind of unrelated to the actual, um, like ileostomy or anything. Um, I've, I can tell that I don't have active Crohn's disease in me anymore. So it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty wild. I, I definitely feel a lot better. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, obviously this isn't a medical podcast, but for those uh, of our listeners that have no idea what we're talking mm-hmm. about, um, it's perhaps just useful to, um, uh, to, to let our listeners know. So, so this is a range of, of illnesses around the umbrella term of um, IBD, isn't it? Um, inflammatory mm-hmm. bowel disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's it's a, it's an autoimmune issue where your your colon and really can go from all of your yeah when it's your uh, digestive, Crohn's, digestive it's, system uh, can't it? can be the whole tract mm. whereas colitis is generally the large intestine um, and so it's attacking that and obviously that's what causes the mm-hmm. um, the pain and uh, and the problems all that fun mm. stuff yeah all that fun stuff yeah there's a lot of research going on at the minute i was listening to a yeah, yeah. podcast about it um you know the sort of there is a link between western nations and as nations become more uh westernized um examples you know like in in uh, the, the the far east um then there seems to be an increase in these sorts of diseases so it seems mm. to that's be really interesting mm. Mm. Yeah, I think um, yeah, that we'll find we'll find out more slowly. We don't know yeah. very much. We know it's caused by um, not caused. We know it's uh, exaggerated by stress, which is obviously mm. um, something I think you spoke about as well. Mm. Um, so, like, did you say that was part of why you wanted to just kind of almost like yeah, rip the the bandaid off and and show your face just to kind of remove one of the elements of stress? Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean. It is intensely stressful mm-hmm. uh, living a double life. And when you're coming out of a cult, you're forced into the position of living a double life. You know, mm-hmm. nobody should have to do that. But when you realize that you are trapped in a like harmful control group and that the consequence of leaving is losing your social structure and your family um, and whatever else uh, – you know, you have to be discreet. You have to be careful, and you have who you tell, and you can't be open and honest about how you feel. And that's really not good for your mental and emotional health. And I really started to feel the toll of that, and uh, I was getting sicker and sicker. Yeah. So, I, I, I'm not saying that you know the Jehovah's Witnesses made me have Crohn's disease or anything like that because it runs in my family and stuff. But this, you know, the symptoms are exacerbated by stress and anxiety. So definitely it was just really, really bad for me. And even though my physical health declined still after leaving, um, my emotional health was way better. I I still felt a lot better overall. Mm. And I wouldn't have felt equipped to deal with something like going through surgery if I was still like PMO or yeah. even if so I was just where I was hide, at. Like getting yeah. a transfusion or like, oh, do I just come out of it now while I'm in the middle of all of this? Or yeah. Right. E- even if I was in that questioning phase where I just was like, mm-hmm. oh, something's wrong. I don't know. 
like that would have been awful to go through that because I, I just genuinely didn't know and I felt all conflicted. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely glad, you know, yeah, if anybody is wondering if it's a bit of a stress relief to leave, it definitely <laughs> is. You oh, get yeah. new stresses, but mm, yeah, 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 it's very different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, one of the things that um, that I, I said I'd really like to talk to you about, Jake, is um, your 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 videos. I always find very funny, and they're very creative. Obviously, this is something that you you enjoy doing, and they they're quite different. They take on different moods and so on, but they're often very funny. Um, well, thank so, you. Uh, so I wanted to. Um, I, I'm going to talk. I'm going to label this controversially, you know, the funny side of cults. Um, So obviously cults are bad. We know that. And I think some cults are worse than others. Um, Our experience is is in Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, I think there's quite a lot of things that I still find quite amusing about Jehovah's Witnesses and that life. So not pointing a finger at laughing at them, but just, you know, odd things that you end up doing as a Jehovah's Witness and sort of funny stories that come along with that. Um, mm. You've told some of them on your um, on your show. Um, I mean, what the, the video that you talked about your strangest experience on the ministry was absolutely hilarious. People have to. Oh, yeah. that. <laughs> Do you want to just pot, give that a little bit of a potted history? Because that is absolutely brilliant. Sure. I don't want to spoil things because it's a... <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good story that needs a, a long form telling. <laughs> but yes, I ended up being stuck in a car for hours on end with a truly unique person um, who was a, a fellow Jehovah's Witness who was older. I was, I thought I was being the goody two shoes ministerial servant and, and driving her out in service and you know taking her to this. Uh, special unworked territory and uh it turns out she was a bit of a a beat poet and had uh thought that she had had pretty significant run-ins with oprah and michelle obama and was a children's book author and so it's a pretty it's a pretty wild ride i recommend right yeah. recommend yeah. that Let's put uh, she just described yeah. herself as a, a roving or roaming the, uh, storyteller. Uh, the traveling storyteller, that's right, traveling yes. Storyteller. Yeah, okay. that's well, the traveling storyteller. The, 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 um... <laughs> not A, not part of a group <laughs> no, of gathering definite storytellers. Definite article, no. yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah but you know what's funny, though, is I think even as a witness, you recognize that yeah. everything's a bit silly and funny. Like, yeah. witnesses exchange crazy field service mm. stories all the time. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know... My wife still tells me crazy comments that she hears at the meetings and that's always a thing. Like there's always a crazy commenter in the congregation. There's always just the weird person with their own thing going on. So even when you're in it, I think you recognize the funny side of it. And Mm -hmm. that's the only, I think that helped me stay in for a long time because I felt like my family is really funny and they, I just always felt like, don't take this too seriously you know it's just it's our religion but we're well-rounded people we we have a sense of self-awareness about things um and i now realize that is not true actually (laughs) (laughs) actually uh things don't go so hot when you criticize the religion to my family but yeah i i think people realize that it's not poking fun at the actual believers yeah, I think that's right. I mean, um, I think the ministry is itself one of the strangest things that 
Um, if you think about what you're actually doing, you know, you're you're knocking on somebody's door. And we, when I was growing up, we used to call it the doors, you know, so I'm going on the doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's one of the things about witnesses as well is they police the language so tightly. So that was, that bit suddenly became a phrase you weren't supposed to say anymore. Um, the doors, you know, it was, um, it should say the ministry really, because we're not interested in doors. Um, we're interested in the people. <laughs> I love stuff like that. It's, it's These weird so things that be like, yes, yeah. yes, I love that. That's great. Yes, we didn't. We never call it the doors uh, here, but yeah. that is exactly the kind of thing that happens. Is something will become an aphorism, and it's like you know, friends, we are not interested in the doors. We're interested in the people, and then it's like, oh, don't call it that. Yeah, yeah that's that's a great observation. And there was like a, yeah. a thing you say if you were late for an appointment after the ministry. So I sorry, I got stuck on a door, um, and of course that then. Um, gave you an image of somebody literally stuck to a door. So it was, um, yeah, there was. And you're not uh, stuck there. You're serving Jehovah. You're preaching. Exactly. That's where you want to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the the people you meet. Um, the uh, so we used to call return visits. Um, if you had like a regular return visit, I don't know. Obviously, I'm going back now, so I don't know if this is a thing now. But did you have like a a, a route of of return visits that you'd give the magazines to every couple of weeks or something like that? Yeah, are you talking about magazine routes or magazines? Route, yeah, route calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That was that was definitely a bit of like. I don't want to say old timers, Stephen. I'm not trying oh, yeah. to. Oh, completely. That's I'm trying I, to label you anyway. But people like of my generation that that didn't seem to be like a thing that happened as much, partially because the ministry was just more apathetic, but also because that just that phrase had kind of fallen away. Um, you had fewer magazines, yes. didn't you? Like we used to have two every month. Yeah, true. Two sets every month. So you know, it was a good way of getting your time in. Was was your root calls. Oh yeah, um, you know, great, and you'd that uh, obviously the people you call on would be sort of fairly oddballish people a lot of the time because they're the only ones that would talk to you really. So um, you'd you'd go around with the magazines, and you know, you'd mm. sit. Sometimes they'd invite you in. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's always remarkable to think that like you're the person in a full suit knocking on somebody's door essentially warning them armageddon is coming and you're not the weirdest person at the door like there's there's somehow there's a weirder person on the other side of it Mm -hmm. um and yeah getting invited inside was always like this is good because they're interesting but also i i would always still think like why would you invite this stranger inside your house i would never do that with anybody Mm. um and yeah I, i have a pretty I have a pretty good story about being invited in somebody's house. Cool. I can tell. Mm-hmm. Tell. Do tell. I, the one that freaked me out was I was just had a great conversation at, at the door with uh, this uh, older woman. And it was just going great. And I had been trying to do what was suggested and use the direct approach. To directly offer somebody a Bible study. That's why we're there. Why well, beat around the bush? So I'm offering the Bible teach book. The, what does the Bible really teach us? That was the main thing for a while. Now they got a new book. Um, but back in my day, it was the Bible teach book. And so I did the demonstration that I was suggesting in the magazine. It's going great. And she invites me inside. She's like, I, this is, this is perfect because this has been what I, this is what I've been praying for. 
Mm-hmm. And th- like, that's the kind of experience you're just dreaming of as a witness. You read about these things and it never happens to you. That somebody circuit, has been... Oversee, um, circuit assemblies. and Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Somebody was, you know, about to kill themselves, but a witness mm. knocked on the door and, you know, you always hear crazy stories like that. So I got invited in and I was working by myself, which is abnormal. Um, you're supposed to work in pairs of two, but, you know, sometimes if it's an, uh, odd group of people or you know an uneven group of people then Mm -hmm. somebody has to work by themselves and that was me so i went in there by myself and um sat down started to go through stuff she's like well i i have powers i have this ability that i have i work in a nursing home and i know when people are going to die uh so i'm like oh (laughs) Oh no. Yes. And I, I was terrified of demons and demon Mm. stories and stuff like that. You know, they, Mm. they straight, they've now strayed away from having talks specifically about demon experiences. But when I was a kid, those were very much a thing. Mm. There would be like an annual demon talk where, and it would always just be called the demon talk because usually it was like the circuit overseer. Somebody would have a, you know, a, 30 minute to an hour discourse that was just wall to wall, like A and E ghost hunter stories, uh, that people had experienced in the ministry, uh, of, you know, possessed objects in their attic or, you know, weird voices coming out of their mouth and stuff. So that really freaks me out. Uh, and so I'm thinking immediately like, Oh no, this woman is demonized. And so she goes on to tell me that she works in a nursing home. And what happens is she, if somebody is dying, she sees lightning come down from heaven and strike them in the head and sees their soul leave their body. So she is able to tell people when they're going to die. And she just wants to know how that fits into the whole Bible thing. And, you know, so how does she that, seems fit to, <laughs> how that fits in is I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I'm going to have to do some research. I think I tried to revert things back to my presentation and got out of there. But that, when you talk about getting invited inside, that that is what comes mm-hmm. to mind is yeah. me realizing like, oh no, this person is unstable and has visions of lightning striking people in the head. Mm. You know what? It just reminded me as well. I can't believe I've never said, but like, because st- you speak to people, you know, afterwards that have never had anything to do with the witnesses mm. like they're just out in the world and they're just like oh these weird people that knock on doors um a friend of mine was at a and he so it's about how um so the other side of this story so like when you invite mm. somebody in sure. um, but he was like but so basically he was um at like a family friend's house or something and he's like oh can you get the door like i'm expecting somebody um so he was like, oh, hello. Um, but he was kind of rushing about himself. Um, he didn't know what this person would look like. He's like, oh, hello. Um, sorry, we've not got, um, I've not uh, been in long. Um, just come in, sit down, sit down, like whatever gets this person in. They're like, oh, okay. So, do you want a cup of tea? So it's making him a tea. And then he sits down and he's like, oh, so how do you know what's his name? He said you were popping around. And he's like, oh, no, I'm, and starts getting out like Bible stuff and like a magazine. He's <laughs> like, I'm here to do this Bible study. I thought you wanted me to, like you invited me in, making a cup of tea. And he felt too awkward to say no and just send him out. 
So and he just committed to, to basically having a yeah, just committed to getting witnessed to. Yeah, and he was just yeah. And this <laughs> this guy was just like, nice, I've been invited in. I've got a cup of tea. Like this young man's just you know apparently so what, going what for I it. What I think is interesting is That's the really um, yeah the, the way that there's like a yeah you kind of collude with each other. I think on the ministry or mm. used to. I mean, I, like so mm. you know a, a lot of our calls would be little old ladies who. Um, so I, I was a pioneer for a couple of years and um, had a pioneer partner. So we spent a long time just knocking on doors. But obviously, you'd you'd hope to meet people that would would invite you in for a cup of tea or whatever. And uh, and so a lot of those tended to be the old old ladies who were on their own. Um, you know, obviously that was probably the only time she talked to somebody. So um, for her, it was kind of nice because she had somebody to talk to, and and for us, it was great because we got half an hour in a um, in a house nice out the cold, um, <laughs> yeah, having a cup of tea. You know, so everybody's happy. Um, but there's like an element of kind of, I suppose, slight guilt about it in that you know, really, we were using her because the 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 real currency for pioneers is is not how many how much money you get from the literature or whatever. It's the time you get. So it's about how can I count my time? You know, that's really what you care about. So anything yes. that's going to help you do that is is just solid gold, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, like there, there'll be people who, and apparently the leadership is discouraging people from doing this, which I think they're mm. silly to do, but they're like, we don't want to have unproductive return visits mm-hmm. people aren't coming to a bible mm-hmm. study we need to move on mm-hmm. but that is not what anybody was doing when i was <laughs> pioneering and stuff it's like i've been going on this guy for 20 years or longer and it's like that person just considers you a friend who comes around sometimes and like who just occasionally will mention the bible like at the end of a completely uh, unrelated conversation they're just old and they don't have any friends, but you are the only person that consistently stops around. But yeah, that's really true. I, I hadn't really thought about that, but it's true. Like as a pioneer, the real currency is people who use up time because yeah. you are trying to get your time. Mm-hmm. You, you, so you are looking for ways to fill your time. And if you can do that by hanging out at somebody's house for a while, an hour, or maybe a little longer than hey, that's a, that's a free hour that you don't have to be, you know, walking in the cold and knocking on doors. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you, you, you'd even get to the point where you were, uh, again, I'm slightly ashamed of it really, but you'd kind of um, play with the whole thing. So there was one one particular call that uh, me and my pioneer partner, it was actually his call, but um, she'd, she'd always say this little, same little phrase. Um, she'd always say, so you'd ask, you know, uh, you'd, every now and again, you'd get the Bible out and talk about, the new system and um you know uh, all bad things that are happening and and we'd say to her you know what what do you think about the what you know what would this be like what would what do you think about the bible's promise for the earth and she'd always say well i think that people should be nice and sociable and not haughty um, and that was like her little catchphrase she'd say it every time so it became like who could get her to say the catchphrase who could get her to say it? <laughs> nice and sociable and not haughty so I remember telling Celine this story um, mm. when she was little and um, you know it became a little catchphrase for us then you know we'd all say well I think it was really nice and sociable and not haughty um, mm. but Celine um, as a child and I, I have no idea why she actually believed that we would say this but she thought I was saying nice and sociable and not horny 
Mm. <laughs> and I just thought this was a, like like a properly like off the wall old lady. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you that, think that this seventy odd year old woman would? I don't know. Have a turn of phrase. Children. Like that. that is well, in line with like, witness doctrine. Yeah. You should be nice yeah, and like sexual, not sense, horny. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it all makes sense. It all lines exactly. up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So no, yeah. it is. It is a slightly odd. Um, uh, there's lots of odd things about about the organisation. Mm. There's there's lots of comedy gold there. I think that's true. I mean, it, in hindsight, you're like, why did I not uh, see that so many of the people that we called on and who were the most zealous preachers are just not all there? Mm. Are either, you know struggling with some kind of mental illness or are, you know, maybe just relatively uneducated um, just or just don't have a lot of life experience, you know, just yeah. you're kind of taking advantage of ignorance in, in some way. That's not always the case. You know, you don't have to be, no. um, uh, there doesn't have to be anything wrong with you to, to be converted to a cult. It happens to very intelligent Sorry. people, but <laughs> our, my favorite, um, that person at the kingdom hall um i won't say her name because she's still around and for all i know she's she'll listen to this podcast i don't know she's hard to predict but she had just incredible medical advice and she always like there was an article uh about not getting wrapped up in alternative uh, kind of fringe medical solutions. Mm-hmm. It, you know what? It, it wasn't even an article about it in the Watchtower, but it was like the Sunday study article for the congregation. And there was a couple paragraphs about it. Yeah. And everybody was like, this is for sister so-and-so. She needs to see this. And of course she wasn't there. And we were all like, no! Because <laughs> it was it was her. But she had a couple really good ones. One time out in the ministry, she... She was always late, so we picked her up somewhere. We would always have like have our groups made, and then we would get a call. We'd be like, "Oh," and we, you know, she's like, "Oh, I'm running late, sweetie. Can you just? I'm over here. Can you pick me up?" And it would just ruin everything. So, we, but we picked her up. Um, and the whoever was driving was listening to something that was I don't know R and B adjacent. It was just kind of like some kind of chill beats happening. Yeah. Um, and she started talking about that kind of music. It's bad for you, honey. It's just, it's bad for you. And I, <laughs> I would always challenge her on these things, which she seemed to like, because I think she just wanted people to ask her about her thoughts. And things. I was like, how is it, in what way is it bad for you? And I, I was like, you mean like, like rap, like lyrics and stuff? She's like, no, it's, it's bad for your body. What happens is kids, they go to these rap concerts and the, the sound of the beat and the way they dance, it actually dislodges their organs. So that was the kind of take that she had a lot. And yeah. one time at the Kingdom Hall, she came up to me and she said, I was the literature servant at the time. So I would order special, you know, if somebody needed a large print or an alternate language version of a publication, I would order those things for them. She came and she's like, honey, I need to cancel my large print uh, subscription to the Watchtower. I don't need those anymore because my eyesight has been cured. And I was like, oh, it's amazing. Did you get like, LASIK eye surgery or something and she's like no I went to the most amazing person and she would always be going to people and I would wonder where it is that she's going to get this advice but she's like I found out 
that when you have, when you're nearsighted, when, when you have trouble seeing far away, it's because you're afraid of the future. You're afraid of what's in front of you. It's when you have difficulty seeing up close, it's because you're afraid of the present. And so I, so she was telling me this and I'm asking her a lot of questions and she's like, now I have known this for a while. Um, and I was like, now I've had glasses since I was about five and I was definitely not worried about the future then. So she's like, well, it happened when you were in the womb. It happened when you're in the womb. Your parents, you, you, the babies hear these things and they inherit these qualities. And if they're talking about things in the future that scare them, that's going to pass itself on to you. And she's like, I've known this for a while and I've had to go back on, you know, glasses and off of them. And I was like, wait, so how does it like wear off? She's like, yeah, I, I started worrying about the future again. <laughs> so she just, these are the kind of things that I, I do miss a little bit was just always getting to hear the latest medical advice from this person. Yeah, I think it does attract. Uh, and the, the problem is, is you, how, how do you respond to that? I mean, obviously you, you had to respond to it in some way. Um, you just politely sidestep. That's, like, that's what I do at work. Because we people like yeah. this. This is my version is like working in customer facing environments is the weirdos come and you have to just be like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. You know? oh okay yeah but like, you know w- w- when you, you are that? actually when you're saying that um the reality is is that the, the new system is going to come and um make uh, reverse people's disabilities you know so people's legs are going to start growing back and um, they're, they're going to get to about 20 and then stop growing old anymore and dead people are going to come out of graves and so yeah, you know, you know I mean, you like, is that any less quite... ridiculous? Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, and and that's why I do try and keep it light on the channel because it's like I think we can get a little high and mighty as people who used to believe, but no longer do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we used to believe some very silly things, and mm-hmm. as much as we like to kind of get on our high horse about it, it's like we used to really sincerely believe this stuff and oh, it's yeah. just as crazy as mm-hmm. like you said the the dislodge dislodging your organs by dancing to rap music for instance yeah yeah it's one of it's one of um, my housemates favorite things to be like explain what what are they on about with this and i'm like okay here we go you're gonna find it funny like the water canopy that was an after dinner conversation once mm-hmm. yeah they really mm-hmm. just also, like my other housemate, um, he really can't cope with the anointed. He's just like, it just makes no sense. I'm like, nope. No. He just, he just can't. I'm like, I'm not saying it does. You asked me what they think. <laughs> yeah. Somebody somebody pointed out um, on the XJW Reddit something that I had never thought about, which is, yeah. you know, so the 144,000 thing, uh, it obviously on its surface just doesn't make any sense. Ooh. But the verse is in Revelation and every all the verses around it are interpreted by a watchtower to be figurative or prophetic and the numbers are not to be taken literally. But another thing is like in that same verse, it says that the 144,000 are virgins who have never defiled mm-hmm. a woman. And so obviously uh, a lot of anointed people are married and mm-hmm. have ha- are not virgins. So and that same women. thing... And or are women. Um, and so, like, 
you have to think that basically just the first part of one sentence is to be taken literally, but the second half of the sentence is like, well, they don't really actually mean they have to be a virgin. That's figurative. So it's just mm-hmm. you you do a lot of jumping through hoops as a witness. Oh, you absolutely do, uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, it stays with you. And um, there's a something an article about a study that some somebody done, and they had 144,000 participants in the study and it's like it jumps out at you as though it's just hit you in the head yeah (laughs) yeah Mm. very very odd right okay well um uh, that's great i really enjoyed that little um excursion down to crazy town um (laughs) it's it's good fun yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. i think at some point gotta do just an episode that is just entitled the excursion into crazy town where we just talk about the weird stuff yeah 100 percent when I, you mentioned the water canopy and that's like Ooh. that's a favorite of mine that was one that i struggled with yeah. a lot as a witness so yeah. you yeah. ever do a like, water canopy episode i'd love to be on yeah. <laughs> or chat, or, come back or, to talk or, about the water, canopy, that water canopy anyone that doesn't know about it is listening is like what so this, but you know you just have to wait it's good i know <laughs> see that's a good teaser for a future episode yeah exactly, exactly. so we've, we've discovered uh, back, back in that back in those days we um we hadn't discovered Humanity hadn't discovered any exoplanets, so we didn't know for sure that there were other planets around mm. other stars. Now, obviously, we've got um, over a thousand uh, planets around distant stars or neighboring stars, and so far, we've not found another planet with a water canopy. Well, just think know. about that. It's just amazing that Jehovah chose this, you know, made this place just for us and gave us just the water canopy that we needed at the right time. <laughs> And then broke it to flood the world and kill everybody. Yeah, absolutely. That's his way. We were watching um, to have that under his arm, ready. (laughs) Yeah, I might need this later. You've always got to have Plan B, you know. Exactly. Um, No, but yeah, we were watching. Was it like um, David Attenborough documentary recently? Mm -hmm. And and Dad loves to do the whole like joke of just like, isn't it lovely that Jehovah made all these animals in this way? Because oh. like, it's like how they're like, um, one was hunting one. And then he was like, oh, wait, mm. but they're all meant to be vegetarian. <laughs> like, oh. oh, that's a tough one, too, is you you have to literally believe that the lion and the lamb will mm. be buddies in Paris. Yeah. It's not just figuratively speaking. It, it's that no. they're going to be friends and they'll eat straw. They, they, <laughs> yeah. they always say that. They're like, well, they'll just eat straw. It's like nobody just eats straw. There's not enough nutrients for a lion but Jehovah will he'll just work it out he'll just work yeah. it all out absolutely there's a lot of lot of work to do but there we go order. Mm. right okay well we could go on all all night um right so you've uh, you've invited yourself back onto this um this podcast jake so uh it's cool we're gonna hold you to that um thank you so much for coming on and uh glad to see you you so much and healthy Uh, thank you jake vaughan thank you very much thank you oh before we go must uh tell people to go to your youtube channel um alt worldly we'll put a link yes. in, the in the show notes um, and specifically to that story that you alluded to as well yes. we'll have to put yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah good call Definitely. thank you very much thank you what should i think about is an evil sheep production